Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Houston, we have a problem, said astronaut Jim Lovell after an oxygen tank exploded on the 1970 spacecraft Apollo 13. As the near disaster unfolded, astronauts on their way to the moon and NASA scientists on the ground had to quickly abandon their lunar landing in favor of survival. You know the story. In light of the explosion, the three-man crew relocated to the smaller but undamaged lunar module, the vehicle that would have landed them on the moon, only to discover that they had yet another problem carbon dioxide. The CO2 filter on the lunar module was only meant for two men for a day and a half, not three for four days. The air quickly became unbreathable. And as, it, as the story unfolded in the film, it was those extra CO2 filters on the command module that would be their only hope. But they were square. And the filters on the lunar module, where the astronauts needed them, were, of course, round. Here, in the film adaptation of the story, the drama builds as the air becomes more and more dense with carbon dioxide and the music swells. Gene Krantz, the NASA flight director, finally says, well, I suggest, gentlemen, that you invite, invent a way to put a square peg in a round hole and rapidly. It's a great scene. It's beautifully written. Go back and watch it if you have a chance, because that's exactly what they do. They build this contraption that fits a square peg in a round hole with duct tape and plastic bags and the arm of a spacesuit, the mailbox. That's what the astronauts ended up calling it, the square peg that fit in the round hole, and it saved their lives. Now, I tell you all this not because it was my favorite film for so many years, but also because I am in the middle of curriculum season, that time of the year when I get ready and read and study in preparation for teaching in the fall. And I have to say that teaching God's story to young people is awfully similar to fitting a square peg in a round hole while floating precariously in outer space. It makes you wish you had more duct tape which you always carry when you're doing youth ministry, right? So first, there is this creation story that is foreign to our scientific-minded public school students. And then there is this improbably great flood that destroys the people and the animals, all of them except for the ones on Noah's Ark, a flood that is terrible, yes, but great. Then there is this laughable promise from God even Abraham and Sarah laugh when they hear it. A son born to a barren couple? Land given to wandering sojourners? Descendants that number the stars? Is this story a joke, they ask? Then, after blessings and sorrows unfold in equal number for Abraham and Sarah's descendants who do number the stars, there is this crazy, unbelievable river crossing just in the nick of time as Pharaoh's army of slave drivers approaches, 
Moses is leading his people out of slavery through the Red Sea, and it opens in front of them. And the waters close behind them just in time for Pharaoh's army, horse and rider, to be thrown into the sea. But it doesn't stop there. In fact, those early stories seem to be preparing us for what's next. A, a child wrapped in swaddling clothes. Wise men from the Far East traveling by starlight to bring frankincense. Shepherds startled by angels bringing good news of great joy. A wise man walking on water, multiplying loaves and fishes, healing those who touch even just the hem of his robe. How are we supposed to see ourselves in this wild story without seeing it firsthand? But it doesn't stop there, of course. Jesus is transfigured and resurrected and ascended. This story of ours is odd and mysterious and beyond. It doesn't take much to realize that it isn't just teenagers, but all of us who are students of the world around us, part critical thinker, part analytical deconstructionist, part cynic, curmudgeon, as we like to call it in the Lancaster family, that surly, disbelieving part of ourselves that dismisses miracles or overthinks the gospel. Sometimes fitting ourselves into this story is like fitting a round peg in a square hole. The culture is different, the language is different, the landscape is different. There are questions and surprises at every turn. And somehow this book, the Bible, isn't quite the easy-to-read owner's manual or instruction guide that it was billed to be. There aren't easy answers to global problems hidden inside of it, and it encourages us to step out in faith or in hope or with courage again and again. One person put it this way after reading scripture. I think part of what it means for God to be revealed to us is to keep us guessing. To come to terms with the idea that knowing God is also a form of not knowing God. Of knowing that we cannot fully know, but only catch God in part. Which is actually more than enough to keep us busy. Maybe that is how this unbearably long sentence from Ephesians unfolds some truth to us. This Trinitarian blessing in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit at the beginning of Ephesians, this blessing from God and about God comes to us not because we can fully understand it, but because it invites us again and again into the knowledge and mystery of God. It invites us also into a new way of understanding ourselves and each other in relationship to this bigger story of God with us. This text is a reorientation, telling us that we are adopted as children of God. Verse 5 reads, Just as God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before God in love, God destined us for adoption as children of God through Jesus Christ. We are adopted into this long story, this story that begins before the foundation of the world. Yes, sometimes this story feels foreign, but because we are adopted into it, we are welcome to grapple with the foreignness of it, 
knowing that no matter what, no matter how much we wrestle with it, we still belong in it. It is a story that becomes our story. It becomes our story at our baptism, or maybe even before that. It becomes our story again and again, each time that we encounter it. All of us are foreigners, outsiders, even those of us who might seem to be the most insider of insiders, is a foreigner to this story. And yet each of us is adopted into it, like Pharaoh's daughter adopting Moses, or Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi adopting Ruth's son, Obed, or even like Joseph, who adopts, so to speak, Jesus into his family. We are adopted into God's family, loved and beloved, forgiven and marked by the Holy Spirit as legal recipients of God's good inheritance. It is in this way, no matter who we are or where we are on life's journey, that we do fit. Even if we are like a square peg in a round hole, God adopts us and weaves us into this holy family. God does have enough duct tape and enough bits of spacesuits handy to incorporate us into this story, and then some. But being duct taped into this story is what makes it so radical in the first place, an inclusive story of God's love for us. That's the part that makes it so difficult. This adoption story is not just for us, for, for me and you, or for this group or for that group, but it's for everyone, for the sake of God's great love. A fifth century theologian put it this way, adoption is the work of God's transcendent love. It is a call to love those whom God loves, not just because God suggests that we should, but rather because we are all part of the same family. Sometimes we love those whom God loves for just a few hours. For example, I remember my first flight across the country all by myself when I was 14. The woman sitting next to me on the plane took me under her wing and talked me through the whole flight. She helped me navigate my layover and even sat down to eat lunch with me. She was a Christian, and I can still remember some of the theological concepts we discussed, but more than that, I can feel a sense that she saw me as part of her family. She reached out to love whom God loves, not for her own sake, but because God's love for her caused her to care for someone else. Other times, we have a chance to love those whom God loves, for just a few days. For example, the Wednesday of our mission trip this year, Wednesday, June 17th, was Father's Day in Guatemala. I wouldn't have known that except that our site coordinator told me that this might be a tender day for our host missionary, Betty, who lost her father suddenly that fall. So as I entered the orphanage where my team was working, I was thinking not only of Betty, but of the children I would be working with that day. The gravity of spending Father's Day with dozens of orphans was not lost on us, dearly loved by each nun, but also abandoned by so many others for so many reasons. But it wasn't until the end of the day that Father's Day really began to take on meaning. I'm not sure if he called out, Mr. Chris, Mr. Chris, or Mr. Johnson, but 
Or maybe we just heard his feet pounding the pavement behind us. But Carlos got our attention just as we were leaving that day with a gift for Chris Johnson. Carlos is seven or eight years old, an orphan who had been living there since before he could remember. And Chris Johnson, with the help of one of our graduates, Jamie Minturn, had the opportunity to teach English for several days in a row to Carlos's class. And in that time, Carlos learned that Chris was a father. The nuns said that Carlos hadn't really ever connected to anyone like this before. And so it was a surprise to them to see him so lit up about learning English and about getting to know someone. In those short few days, Carlos began to see that Chris was a part of his family, part of this wider family, both, both of them fully adopted into God's transcendent love. The gift Carlos gave Chris was a small box. On one side, there were a few drawings and a few stickers. On the other side, it said in Spanish, Happy Father's Day. Love, Carlos. Finally, sometimes we get to love those whom God loves from the very beginning, and they help us to see and to know God. For example, one family, in preparing their four-year-old son for the homecoming of a new baby, told him that this child would be a blessing from God. After the baby arrived, a friend was over visiting the family and noticed the four-year-old leave the room. The child went into the room where his new baby sister was sleeping and was heard saying to her, Now, can you tell me what God looks like? No matter how old we are, God can speak in us and through us. God names us and claims us as children of God, adopted into God's wild story of transcendent love. May we know this love through one another and through this sacred story that we can call our own. As we move into a time of silent reflection, let us rest confidently in God's love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.